KMTT, Kimitzion Teitze Torah. You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program. Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parshat Vayikra, Bet Nisan. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef Ben Chaim Shmuel, and I'm Jonathan Snowbell. One of the fun things about the Erev Shabbat program is that it is less formal, or informal perhaps, as compared to a frontal shear, as frontal as a shear can be when you're listening to it on an iPod while you're traveling, not holding a book. And I wonder at times if it is allows us to lead ourselves to superficiality as well. I had prepared what I was going to say today, and then on the way home I was listening to the radio. And this radio show happened to be hosting a rabbi, and they were discussing. And I don't know what everybody else's impression was and how positive the show was, but to me it was extremely superficial. On three levels. One, the host of the show, the hostess of the show, asked the rabbi, well, what is all of Sefer Vayikra relevant to us? Uh, talks about korbanot, and we don't do korbanot today. And the rabbi's answer was that korbanot is from the word kirva, to come close, and hakrava, to sacrifice. In order to come close, you have to sacrifice. So he spoke about this as uh, people who know how to stretch out an idea over a 20-minute period. <clears throat> okay, maybe I'm one of those people too. He spoke about this for a couple of minutes, but that was his point. Korbanot is about kirva, closeness, and closeness is achieved through hakrava, sacrifice. And, you know, I'm spending whatever number of minutes every morning to go through the daily aliyah, Shnai Mikra Chad Targum. I lane regularly, I read the Torah regularly, and, you know, if your whole... Uh, uh, explanation of Sefer Vayikra, which is full of korbanot, which seems irrelevant to us, is stems out of the first two psukim, and someone wasted a lot of ink reading, writing the rest of the, the, the chumash of Sefer Vayikra. These cannot be satisfa- satisfactory answers to us. And I'm warning you right now, I'm not giving a satisfactory answer myself. What I'm doing is I'm setting <clears throat> a demand. I'm putting a demand on the table, what we want out of our Torah. We don't want someone to come along and say to us, you know what's relevant about Sefer Vayikra, Parshat Vayikra, Parshat Tzav, Parshat Shmini, Parshat Tazriya Mitzora, Achremot. I don't want someone to come and tell me a two-line vort about closeness is achieved through sacrifice. I mean, there are gory details here, and when I say gory details, I mean gory about which organ is brought, and I am not satisfied with the Torah that can be um, simplified and brought down in, in short ideas about the importance of sacrifice in order to achieve closeness. I am trying to find explanations as to why we want to bring these korbanot, why they're significant to us, why we want to be Mamlachat Kohanim Vegoi Kadosh, a nation of Kohanim. And these answers are not satisfactory. Point number two. 
spoke about the Aviv, the springtime. <clears throat> it's a time of renewal, hitchut. It's a very popular idea, very nice idea. What does it mean? To what does it translate? It's again one of these very catchphrase topics that sound very, very romantic, very gripping, and they're not translated into any content or any action. They're meaningless, superficial words that are very popular, and maybe they're popular because they sound nice. They're probably not popular, and they're, but they're probably popular because they don't translate to anything. It just leaves someone with a fuzzy good feeling. And fuzzy good feelings are great because they don't demand anything of us. Number three, and this is something that has to do with the Torah that's out there in the world today. He spoke about Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and how Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the most important day of the year. And then he went on to say that, in the name of someone, I don't even want to mention the name of who that person was, because I don't want him to take the fall for what this rabbi said. Every, those 12 first days of Nisan, which we know that the Nisim brought the korbanot of the Nisim on those, for the dedication of the Mishkan every day of the first 12 days of Nisan, for 12 days, each of those days represents the 12 months of the year, and, and and what will happen in each month of the year is determined by the corresponding day. On the first day of Nisan, we determine what's going to happen in Nisan. On the second day of Nisan, we determine what's going to happen in Yar, and so on and so forth. And this person, who he was quoting, can could feel what was going to be in each month of the year by his feeling on that day. It just seems to me today that you take any sentence, you place, plaster somebody's name to it, it becomes a truth. Who says? Is this a Gemara somewhere? Is this a Chazal somewhere? Is it a substantiated Gemara? Is it a substantiated Chazal? Is it in the Chumash? Is it in the Rambam? Where do we draw our lines about what we accept as... Torah, just because somebody's name is attached to it, it becomes Torah, or somebody claims that somebody's name is attached to it. So many things out there in the name of the Gra. Who can confirm them? Is that what we? Is that what our religion is about? Is some secret uh, uh, transformation of information to a small group of people? And, and they have all the secrets. I prefer a Torah where you look into the Chumash, you look into the Tanakh, you look into the Gemara, you look into the Rambam, the Shulchan Aruch, Rishonim. Not where everything could be made up. I had an argument, and this is a topic that comes up every so often. I had an argument with a Breslov Chassid about going to Uman and Rosh Hashanah, and I really don't want to speak about this. But he said to me, when I said, where this is all made up, and you're going to Chutzlar, it's, it's, it's all against the Torah, you're going to pray by someone's kever. He said, don't you believe in Torah Shabbat Peh? 
anything that anybody says at any point in history, if they're a rabbi and they're important, and I have all the respect for Rabbi Nachman Rebrezlev as an important uh, rabbinical figure, spiritual leader in the Jew- of the Jewish people, but I don't think everything he says transforms into Torah Shabal Peh. And it's the same thing. That just like uh, Torah Shabal Peh tells us that a pre Hadar is an etrog, so too Torah Shabal Peh tells us that we should go to Uman and Rosh Hashanah. We have to have demands of what we want from our Torah. We want our Torah to make sense. We want to be able to question the Torah. And we demand good answers to our questions. We don't we will not be satisfied by superficial answers that don't answer the question. We will not be satisfied by answers that are apologetic. We want real answers. And if the answer that we get, and if we don't find an answer, then we'd rather someone say, I don't have a good answer to this question than to give me a bad answer. After venting a little bit, I want to talk briefly about Pesach because I'm not sure if there's a... I haven't spoken to the producers um, as to whether there is a Erev Shabbat next week. I hope there is. In any case, a couple words about Pesach. There's a tension between the chametz and the matzah on Pesach. What do I mean there's a tension? There's no tension. It's matzah, there's no chametz. What I really, truly mean is that there's a tension as to what is in the center. Is it the isur of chametz, the prohibition to eat chametz, or the positive commandment to eat matzah? What are we more concerned about? Are we more concerned about the prohibition of chametz or the positive commandment of eating matzah. Factually, it seems that the chametz is more in the center. Chametz is a prohibition for, certainly in halachic terms, is a prohibition for seven and a half days. The commandment to eat matzah is on the first night of Pesach at Lola Seder. After that, it's not an obligation. On the other hand, those true to Torah Shibichtav will tell us that it seems that the Torah Shibichtav dictates a mitzvah to eat matzah for seven days. And the Gra, on some level, accepted that position and believed that there was a fulfillment to eat matzah all seven days of Pesach, if not an obligation. The Torah calls Pesach Chag HaMatzot which again puts matzah in the forefront. The the question is an interesting question on a theoretical level. I believe on some level it represents the following tension, the following idea. Without getting into all the details here, for lack of time, what do chametz and matzah represent? And I'm giving a different explanation that uh, that 
hopefully is an analysis of what we know about Chametz and Matzah in the Torah. Matzah is a product made in an incomplete process. When there's not enough time, we make matzah. They were chased out of Mitzrayim, they could not dilly-dally, and so their dough did not have enough time to become chametz. Chametz is what we are aiming for. We want to have chametz, but when we don't have time, we cut the process short and we only make matzah. Why do we want chametz as opposed to matzah? Those are interesting questions that are worthwhile discussing, and there are theories out there about what is better about chametz as opposed to matzah. It's a longer shelf life, or whether it's, it's tastier, it's fluffier, whatever it is, all of those being set aside, what we know from the Torah is that chametz is about a process that is allowed to go to completion. Matzah is about a process that's incomplete. When the Torah prohibits chametz, it is stressing incompletion. Why is the Torah stressing incompletion on on Pesach? on Chag HaMatzot, on Chag Isur Chametz, on the holiday of prohibition of Chametz. I made up that name. Because the Torah is telling us that Pesach is incomplete. Yes, we are free. We are Bnei Chorin. We haven't received the Torah. We haven't gone into Eretz Yisrael. These are all major goals in the life of the Jewish people. And we can't just put everything down and celebrate Pesach as a completion of a process. It's not a completion of the process. In fact, it's the very beginning of a process. So there's no room for chametz on Pesach because there is no completion on Pesach. To such an extent is there no completion on Pesach that already on the second day of Pesach we're already counting to the next holiday. Sefer HaChinuch states that we, we Yitzhak Mitzrayim managed to pull out one day by itself, the first day of Pesach, where it's unadulterated with thinking about the next stage. That's the day where we can eat matzah, and that's a mitzvah to eat matzah on that first night. Yes, it's an incomplete process, but we're celebrating it. We're going to eat the matzah. It's a mitzvah to eat the matzah. Enjoy the matzah. Eat the matzah with, with an appetite. We're celebrating an incomplete process. From the second day onward, we're being reminded that this is an incomplete process, everybody. We're counting already to Shavuot, to Chag Matan Torah, where we're going to get the real purpose for Yitziat Mitzrayim, to get the Torah. The second day, the Sur Chametz becomes more prominent. Not completion. Yes, there's an Yisur Chametz on the first day as well. But that's mitigated by the mitzvah of eating matzah. The commandment to eat matzah says, celebrate the incomplete. The prohibition 
to eat chametz stresses the lack of completion and the yearning for more, the yearning for something more complete, which at the end of the process is Chag HaShavuot, Chag Matan Torah, which in fact a special korban, a unique korban of Shtei HaLechem is brought in the Beit HaMikdash, which is actually Chametz. There there's a sense of completion. When we think of the term Ben Chorin, we can think of different sayings of Chazal, and Ben Chorin Elamisho Sekba Torah. There is no free person except for someone who deals with, learns Torah. An interesting statement unto itself, something that needs to be learned and thought about. But it's interesting in the light of what we just said now that the true sense of Ben Chorin, when we leave Mitzrayim, is only going to be achieved at Shavuot when we're Osekba Torah. But I want to. Focus on a different saying of Chazal, and that is, "Lo alecha hamlacha ligmor, velo ata ben chorin li batel mimena." You do not have to finish the task, but you are also not a free person. You are not free to move away from the task, to forsake the task. Perhaps this is the saying which we could really stick on to Chag Hamatzot, Chag Pesach. Chag tells you, don't be overwhelmed by this huge task at hand that you don't see how you can complete the task. You do not have to finish the task. But you are not free to forsake it either. We are commanded by this famous saying of Chazal and Pirkei Avot to begin, to begin big tasks. Perhaps we can even take pride in beginning the task. And that is what Chag Matzot is about. Celebrating a beginning of a process. Celebrating a beginning of a process, an incomplete process, but it's a beginning. And that's a very significant thing. But you are not free to forsake it either. Or if I could be a little bit poetic, You were not made a Ben Chorin in order to forsake it. You were made a Ben Chorin in order to engage the process, to enter the process. The purpose of you being a Ben Chorin was not so that you can now sit on the beach and soak up the rays. The purpose of you being a Ben Chorin is to get to work. That is the purpose of Pesach. The purpose of Pesach is in order to begin the process of being our own people, no longer the slaves of the Egyptians, no longer mindless people who have no none of their own direction, but rather a people who have a task to do, a huge task, a task that will span over decades and centuries and millennia of world history. But 
We don't have to be overwhelmed. We do not have to finish the task. We are part of the greater Jewish people. But that doesn't mean we can forsake the task either. And on that note, with lots of background noise for this taping of this Arab Shabbat program, and maybe you didn't hear it, but I certainly did, Shabbat Shalom, and hope to see you, to speak to you next week.